Howdy, folks. Welcome to another Amped interview. It's Joe from my palatial living room looking out on the streets of Westland on a beautiful fall day. Dan and I are physically as close as we have ever been, as you are probably aware we haven't met yet. Right now, though, he is five hours north of me at a conference in um, British Columbia, Canada, and I have had no opportunity to run up to see him. And it seems like a missed opportunity, but it's just the nature of things. Every year, we're like, this is going to be the year. At any rate, I had an interview that I wanted to make sure that we shared. We actually have a bunch of content in the queue that is just waiting for us to edit and fully produce. A couple of them are what has turned out to be fairly popular, the video responses to songs. But um, I am such a poor editor of video. I'm really good at audio. I want to tell you, I'm very good at audio. I am so bad at video. It's such a... (laughs) I waste so much time. So those are coming. We've got uh, two of those already recorded. Uh, We also have uh, an interview with Chrissy Nordoff that I just did about a week and a half ago, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you. So stay tuned. we got those coming. I appreciate your patience. I will get better at editing videos. In the meantime, we are returning to a guest that we spoke with at the beginning of the summer, Dr. Ramona Probosco, and I love chatting with her. And after our conversation, we touched base and decided that we wanted to continue the conversation to make sure we explored some other areas. It's a serious topic. You will know as you listen that I am passionate about it. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you share it with folks. I want to, as always, thank you for continuing to listen and to share. Have a great one. If I don't talk to you before Thanksgiving, God bless. Frequency.fm presents The Amped Interview. I'm really grateful to invite back on Frequency a guest that we had on earlier this year, uh, Dr. Ramona. We spoke with her about um, her book that was just on the verge of being released, Healing Well and Living Free from an Abusive Relationship, From Victim to Survivor to Overcomer. And welcome back. It's great to have you back here. Thank you, Joe. It was such a pleasure speaking with you after the book was released, and I really appreciate you having me back on. Well, you and I exchanged a few messages after the interview. You were very kind to respond to me. (laughs) Um, No problem. But we really focused, um, as we were having that conversation after the fact, we, we, we had focused a lot on what's the appropriate response of the church in this situation and, um, and really helping people become more aware that this occurs and the frequency with which it occurs. But what we didn't really have an opportunity to get into was really maybe the heart of the book, Healing Well, you know, the the first two words of the title. And this seemed like an excellent opportunity to delve into that a little bit and really speak to these individuals that have experienced this and give them some practical assistance along those lines. And I'm looking forward to chatting with that with you about that. Well, and that's a, it's a very good point you raised because there is, in my opinion, a huge difference between healing and healing well. And certainly time 
uh, heals nothing. Time passes. We have to intentionally do something mm. with that time to heal from the trauma that abuse leaves in its wake. And and what I believe healing well involves is it involves intentionally looking at um, facing, feeling, and in a sense, properly fixing our emotional wounds and not taking shortcuts. It would be like, say, for instance, um, that, well, the story I share in my book is, is about when I was a kid and, and my brothers and I would get on our bicycles and we would go barreling down the hill and uh, inevitably, often one of us would wipe out or, you know, we would get injured. And I can remember thinking, you know, I know mom would want me to go up to the house, get it cleaned out, all the dirt and stuff that so doesn't get infected. But she would always use this stuff called mercuricom. I know I'm totally dating uh, myself. You know, I know. <laughs> but, okay. But it was that awful red stuff that our mothers would chase us around the house and try to put on whatever our cuts and scrapes were to keep it from getting infected. Well, just like we have to clean physical wounds, we need to address emotional wounds. Just like a broken leg won't fix itself, neither will a broken heart. And abuse does cause brokenness. So there's things that we need to do for ourselves to be able to actualize healing well. I think that's tough for some people to accept um, similar uh, in a similar fashion. Like grief doesn't have a specific time frame. You can't shortcut grief. You can't shortcut regaining trust. Um, there's not a shortcut, um, and you can't just ignore it and, and think that it will go away. Am I right? That's absolutely right. I refer to, to what you're talking about right there as band-aids. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and they are in a sense, a, an attempt to shortcut, um, the healing well process. And there's, there are no shortcuts to healing well. If you just want it to scab over, so to speak, Sure. You know, we can just you can just allow time to pass, or what what some people will do is they will try to use a, a subsequent relationship to heal from the prior one. So if I get into a relationship again, then I can distract myself. And you would be shocked at how many times I hear clients say that that's what their family and friends advise them to do. Here they've experienced trauma and an abusive context and an abuse in an intimate situation, relationship rather, and they're advised to get back into another one rather than take a time out and really address how this has affected them. It's not a good plan. And we can do things like, well, for me, um, as crazy as this may sound, I really distracted myself with work. And uh, cleaning house was a huge one. I thought if I could just vacuum those straight mm, lines on the carpet, mm. <laughs> you know, I'd have control over something. Yeah. Um, exercise was another big one for me. Even mothering. I mean, I white knuckled mothering. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you know. And so I just I I used even things in the sense that were positive, uh, but as a way to not look at my pain. And that just doesn't work. Doesn't it work. seems um, that busyness, uh, all well, you say band aids. It seems like these um, maybe temporarily effective means of, I'll call it self medication, um, finding right. some way to distract or to gloss over or temporarily assuage the pain. But it's not. Um, it's maybe some aspect of healing, but it's certainly not 
moving toward that kind of the positive space where we want to ultimately be. Right. It's not healing well. And, you know, one of the things that I, I spend time teaching the reader is about this term referred to as super traits. And actually, it was originally coined by Sandra L. Brown, who has done a lot of research on uh, helping people heal from uh, a, a narcissist and things mm-hmm. like that. But anyhow, super traits in a nutshell it are elevated traits such as loyalty and, and, and high loyalty, high tolerance high empathy, high relationship investment, meaning you're going to continue to try no matter what to make the relationship work, Uh, a sense of over-responsibility, and trusting before trust is earned. So in a sense, all of us, unless unless a person is a sociopath, Mm. we all have empathy. Okay, we all have a certain degree of empathy, but when we have elevated levels of these traits, it puts us at a greater risk for staying in the relationship, trying harder, and feeling like you you can bear influence to, quote, help your partner, your abusive partner to change. And so I, I help people to identify these risk factors Uh, within themselves and learn how to manage them better and manage them in a more healthy way. Because a lot of these traits, the idea that they're positive traits, but because, you know, and I consider myself a a pretty empathetic person, but at some point you kind of, it sounds like you can go over that line and like loyalty, that loyalty to the point where you have ceased to recognize that this is not healthy or rational or um, practical, uh, other people would have recognized ahead of time, I shouldn't be here. This isn't maybe worth salvaging. That's really intriguing to me that we're taking a positive trait and pushing it too far over the line. That's exactly right. And so the idea that more is better. Yeah. So if I, and then when you, when you uh, interweave, um, faith, you know, and for me personally, my faith and my my really lack of understanding of God's heart for this matter, um, but certain things I projected on God that I thought that, you know, just certain things that I thought that he wanted me just to forgive and move on and forgive and reconcile and all this kind of stuff. I had to really address a lot of faulty thinking I had around faith and around the heart of God and this matter, because until we address our faulty thinking, that will also keep us stuck. So if you interweave super traits along with um, thinking, if I pray more, have more faith, believe more, submit more, you know, these things that, that we're told that somehow it's going to bring about this miracle that I'm holding out for, that's not true because God himself is not going to override a person's choice to abuse. Yeah. It's their free will. Yeah. It's their sole responsibility. That, boy, it can get really complex very quickly when you add faith into the mix here, because um, I see it in so many areas where if I just pray hard enough, if my, if I have enough faith, God's going to take care of this. But God gave us free will. He allows his children to make mistakes and to make their own decisions. And that, that's you, and that's the abuser or the perpetrator. Um, and, um, and, he, and I think there's an expectation, and tell me if I'm on the wrong, <laughs> heading the wrong direction here, but there's an expectation that we, we need to play a role 
um, in in extracting ourselves from these situations and um, and healing, not just extracting, but healing. Um, that that it's not just prayer that gets us there, but some very deliberate things that we do on our own. That's absolutely true, and that's a really good point you just raised. That free will is both on the you know um, an opportunity, a choice for the person who's on the recipient side of the abuse as well as the person who's inflicting it. And each person is responsible for his or her choices. And the example I often will refer to is when when Christ was on the cross and he had the, you know, the criminals on each side of him. And the one is acknowledging who Jesus is and his messiahship. And the other one is still spewing horrible things uh, at the Lord and and not believing in Christ. And what I one of the, my takeaways from the Lord's example on that is that he did not turn to the man who was not uh, acknowledging who Christ was and say to him, you know what, do you know who I am? You know, you better get right. You better have to come to Jesus right now, because if not, it's curtains for you. He didn't. He allowed this man to choose his eternal reality, his eternal destiny. And if anybody could have turned around and tried to talk this man into a better decision, it would be Jesus Christ himself hanging on that cross. But he didn't. He allowed both men to choose by their free will. So when when I look at that example, I think all the years I tried to love Ben into wellness, tried to help him change, drag him to counseling, you know, have our pastor talk to him. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of the things I tried to do. Ben chose not to change. And there was not going to be anything that I could have done or not could have done or should have done or didn't do that could have helped to facilitate that. He had to choose it. Uh, you, You mentioned control and our desire to control situations. And here's an example where one party is trying to control the actions of another party, and you just you can't do that. Well, it's hard enough. The only when I read about control in the scripture, I read about self control, which is a fruit of the spirit. So you know, the Holy Spirit will help us when we yield ourselves to Him to to develop self control as one of the, one of the fruits. Nowhere in there do I see we're supposed to be controlling another person. Right. You know, that's not what what, what we're called to do. So, um, and really abuse is not, it's, it's, it is, it is about power control, but it's also about a mindset, Joe. And it's primarily driven by a mentality of, uh, entitlement mm. and lack of empathy. It's not even really about anger because the fact of the matter is we all get angry. We all don't abuse. Abuse is a choice. Yeah. That's an excellent point. I've taken you off track of the healing well piece, though. Look how I did that to you again. And <laughs> <laughs> why did it myself, too? Um, back, well, back to, to that, you yeah. know. Yes, there are definitely things that we can do, such as finding a safe person to share our story with, connecting preferably with a counselor who has training in domestic violence. If that counselor suggests marital counseling, run for the hills, they don't know what they're doing. Mm. Uh, another important step, Joe, is to begin to call it what it is and not, no longer using things like we have a communication problem. We need to learn how to resolve conflict, uh, you, you know, making different types of excuses. 
when we diagnose properly, we treat properly. So using the proper term and calling it what it is, abuse, then will affect how we respond to it. So that's hugely important. And then I encourage people, as is one of the steps, is to educate themselves. Read good quality books. Join a support group for other uh, people who've experienced uh, abuse at the hands of their intimate partner. Um, get good material because it's very empowering as you start to understand what is behind all of this. And then, of course, be aware of the shortcuts like you and I have talked about, which I won't go into super detail there. But one shortcut that I didn't mention, it's, it's, I refer to it as the irrevocable Band-Aid, is suicide. Mm. And actually, 20% of domestic violence victims attempt suicide. And when I was working uh, with the counselors that, that helped me, not then they were terrific, but not one of them asked me if I was struggling with suicidal thoughts, and I had been for many years. It was a terrible struggle, and it really wasn't until I wrote the book that I even even said it publicly. And now, of course, I share an interview. So, if you're a pastor, if you're someone that's in the helping profession, a counselor, um, or even a family or friend that's come alongside somebody. That's a very important question to ask and then get them support if they're struggling with that. Um, I cannot reinforce enough how important that is. If um, I know asking the question and then taking the response seriously, if if somebody starts to say things like, well, if you ask the question, hey, have you thought about hurting yourself or um, um, I don't know if we mentioned this before, but just the, the simple fact that you use the word suicide does not make that person mm-hmm. more likely to do it. Um, That's correct. There's some there's some um, fear or there's a stigma around asking that, but it's like, you know, have you had thoughts of suicide? You can ask that question without fear that that person is more likely to do that. Um, and then you have to listen to the answer because sometimes they'll skirt around it. But if that self-harm, is, that suicidal ideation is part of it, get them help. That's right. My soapbox. That's, that's absolutely right. <laughs> No, but that's a really important one because it's just, it's it's one that um, so often is just skipped over and, you know, it just it needs to be talked about. So I'm glad that, you know, you and I have chatted about it. And I have, you know, resources on my Dr. Ramona website for people even addressing uh, the, the suicide factor as well. So, Well, you mentioned the website. Uh, I'm going to uh, make sure that people know how to get there, even though we're not done talking. Um, yeah. Easy to write down, www.drramona.com. That's correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I guess sure. there's some wonderful resources there, not just on the suicide piece that we we're just discussing, but all of these healing well, um, there's some wonderful resources there that you really should avail yourself of, even if you don't buy the book, which... You should. But even if you don't buy it, at least avail yourself of those resources. Absolutely. And on my hotlines and resources page, I also have a tab where people can um, select their particular state and and uh, get in touch with the support that's in their area and within their state. So uh, there's some, yeah, there's a lot of great information. So thank you for sharing that, Joe. Sure. I, I want to, if you don't mind, I want to backtrack very briefly. You mentioned something and I want to make sure people heard it correctly. You said that if you go to a counselor and they suggest 
Uh, if you go to an individual counselor and they suggest marriage counseling, you should run away. Mm-hmm. Even though I end, right. I know what the answer to this question is. I do want to ask you, why is that something that we should avoid in this circumstance? Well, there's several reasons, but the the most important is that it can be dangerous. It can even be fatal because you, first of all, someone who is experiencing abuse from their intimate partner is not going to feel comfortable sitting in front of that person, openly dialoguing. It's hard enough to share the story, let alone try to share factually what's happening with the partner sitting right there. And then it puts them at risk for harm on the drive home mm. just after the session, you know? And so it's just not wise. It's, 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 not, it's not a good idea. It's dangerous. I really wanted to reinforce that point because it sounds on the outside, it sounds logical that um, marriage counseling might work, but it's just not the right way to go. I just, I wanted to revisit that. Thank you for allowing me to come back to that. Well, because it's not a marital issue. Abuse is the sole responsibility of the abuser. Mm -hmm. A marital issue is when both parties, in a sense, are responsible you know, to learn how to communicate. And that doesn't mean that in relationships where there's abuse that people can't learn how to communicate better, how to resolve conflict better, but that we have to separate it out. We have to separate out what is, in a sense, normal couple struggles from abuse. Abuse is about a mentality. Right. It's about how that person thinks. It's about a power differentiation. It's not about normal couple struggles. Yeah. So you you have to separate the two. But, you know, when, when, for instance, you know, there's, I've talked to a lot of just terrific pastors and they're well-meaning and they, they want to help, but if they don't have training or if a counselor doesn't have, not every counselor, like I have a ton of training on this and so I'm qualified, but there's plenty of things that I refer out because I'm not qualified. So this can apply to a counselor as well. If you do not have the training on the complexities that surround this particular issue, and that meaning violence and abuse, it doesn't have to be just physical, it can be verbal, emotional, spiritual, financial, uh, sexual abuse uh, within an intimate relationship. If you don't have that training, then you're going to apply what you know. And if what you know is what you use with, with normal couple uh, struggles and impasses that cu- that all couples go through, then that's what you're going to apply, but you're not going to help them. And if anything, you're going to make matters worse and even potentially dangerous. I think you have a moral responsibility to refer that person out. Um, if you are, exactly yeah, I, I, if those of you who are listening, you probably already aware my wife is a therapist and um, these are things that I that I get to learn whether I've asked for the information or not. But uh, I feel like it makes me a more rounded person and able to have conversations, important conversations like Dr. Ramona and I are are having right now. The title of your book, the last word is overcomer. Um, I don't know if we mm-hmm. touched on that last time. Why is there a distinction between the word survivor and overcomer? Well, you know, when typically when you talk about the subject matter of domestic violence, you hear about a victim or a survivor. And a lot of survivors, in my opinion, are overcomers, the way I define overcomer. But there's a lot of survivors who call themselves survivors that are not overcomers. And what do I mean by that? Mm -hmm. To me, what I learned is that there's a third stage to healing, and it's this overcomer stage. And it's something that 
that the Lord taught me in the four years it took me to read, not read, to write the book and in my own healing well time. And it, it, it involves a lot of things, but it involves not just living beyond an abusive relationship. It involves really living, or what I say is thriving beyond an abusive relationship. And for an overcomer, they there are certain things that I believe that they learn to do. They learn to love themselves in a healthy way. They crave more than survival. They recognize that there's purpose in their pain. They're no longer... Um, living a life that's shrouded in secrecy or shame. Mm. They're committed to the entire process of healing well, even if it it takes time, which it does, and it's difficult, which it is. They learn how to trust their gut because in these relationships, in order to stay, we have to dial down the volume on our gut. So they learn how to turn that volume on their gut again and start to listen to it. They call it what it is. They They use the proper terminology. They no longer wear masks. They no longer keep secrets. They learn how to manage those super traits that you and I talked about earlier. They recognize red flags and they adhere to them. They don't just say, you know, it's pink instead of red. Mm. Um, They learn how to set healthy boundaries. They work through the... um, the process of forgiveness. They connect with healthy community. Those are just a few of the things. I have a whole uh, Healing Well Living Free guide for overcomers at the end of my book, and it's a several-page chart where I, in the first column, I talk about how a person thought, behaved, reacted when they were, in a sense, being abused, um, when they were being victimized. And then what an overcomer does is they continue to heal well, how that changes from victim through survivor onto overcomer. But it's definite things we need to do. It, it doesn't just happen because we want it to. These are good words. That's a lot. I yeah, know. These are good <laughs> words, though. As um, <laughs> as we're looking to wind down a bit, um, are there any anything that we um, uh, should share in addition that we haven't touched on related to healing well? Uh, related to your book, I'll tell people where to where to find mm-hmm. it. But I'm just I want to make sure. Sure. Um, is there um, any other points that for that person who's listening right now, who is in that relationship, or who has a loved one who's in a relationship, should hear right now? Well, if they have a loved one in the relationship, uh, you know that the best thing a person can do is to believe when someone shares even a morsel of their story to believe them because it takes such courage and strength to disclose this secret. So that's the first thing I would say. And then to support someone, it's it's in some ways it's similar to the actual person going through the healing well steps and that you want to educate yourself. So a book like mine or other great books that are out there, you know, read and 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 learn so that you can be a good sounding board. And when they ask you for information, you can provide good information. But what I would what I'd like to leave your listeners with is that at one time in my life, I was if they're listening to me in the car or wherever they're listening to me, um, I was that person listening. I was that person, you know, that was just consumed with with the relationship and just trying to to make it better and to make the pain stop. And I never saw myself being where I am today. But where I am today is where anyone can be. Mm. 
if they will choose to pursue healing well for themselves. And, and what I've laid out, I've laid out my actual steps that I used in my own journey and that I now use with clients and I, and I teach today. So it's, and it's very non-clinical, like we're sitting down having a cup of coffee. That's how I, I, I approach the writing of the book. But that's what I want to leave people with, that I know what it feels like to be stuck, scared, angry, confused, crying yourself to sleep, um, feeling very alone and isolated. I know what that feels like, and your life can be different. And there is life after abuse. There's actually a great life after abuse if we heal well. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, so we've been talking to Dr. Ramona. Her book, Healing Well and Living Free from an Abusive Relationship from Victim to Survivor to Overcomer, is is available now and has been available for a couple of months. Ramona, where where's the uh, where would you suggest people go to find your book? Um, they can go to Amazon uh, online, of course. Anywhere books are sold online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Book, um, Books a Million, uh, they, they can get the book. So um, just point and click and... And it's available on Kindle, too, if they'd like the Kindle version, because some people prefer that. Yeah, you could have it in a matter of uh, a couple of minutes if you uh, yeah. in, if you want it right now. And I highly recommend the book. But also, again, whether or not you get the book, check out drramona.com. We'll put a link. Uh, we'll put a link on the website on our post so that you can easily get there. But just for the sake of um, reminding people, www.drram.com. ONA.com, DrRamona.com. Check out those resources, get a copy of the book, um, support an individual who is working very hard to help people move from victim to overcomer. It's it's a hard journey, and we appreciate that you've picked up the ball and are running with it, Ramona. Well, you know what? It's I feel like that's what we do, you know, is that we turn around and we reach back and take the hand of someone else, you know, because I was once there and I get that. And I just want your listeners to know, you know, they really, they aren't alone. There, there are resources out there that um, they can connect with because we can't, we don't, we do our best healing in community, not in isolation. So, and I do, I pray, my husband and I pray uh, every week. There's a prayer that I wrote out for the readers uh, that he and I pray together. And I actually have a prayer team that meets every week to pray for the readers of the book. So they're getting prayer too. And I hope that's a comfort to whoever's listening. That's yeah, it's a wonderful blessing. Thank you for doing that. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. Frequency.fm is a podcast featuring Christian artists, authors, creatives, and experts. For more music reviews, book reviews, and articles, please visit us at Frequency.fm.